Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening. Folks, thank you very, very much for tuning in. The date today is the 14th of September, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the J. No legitimate topic today, just kind of wanted to give my quick thoughts on some things that have happened in the playoffs recently, um, and just kind of see where that goes. going to be one of the shorter episodes, nothing like the Milwaukee Bucks rant that we had the other day, which was like a 30-minute episode, which really the only time when they ever get that long is when there's a guest so basically just james um but otherwise yeah as you guys know i like to keep these kind of short so uh, i don't want to say too much about the clippers Nuggets series yet game seven is still to be played uh, as of this recording tomorrow um which i will be doing uh once again a live stream uh, watch party with fan-sided mark carmen um so you guys can tune into that as we watch the game and i feel like today is one of the first days in a while that we haven't had basketball and it feels kind of weird because I was trying to think even between the regular season and the playoffs starting when you I mean first of all when the bubble officially started and you have games from like noon to 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night that was the best feeling in the world that was amazing and then it kind of starts to get you get weaned off a little bit but I feel like even when the regular season ended you had the play-in game with uh, Portland and Memphis, but was that not the layoff for every other team? Like, I feel like there wasn't any other space between the playoffs. Just boom, like we got started the next day. I could be wrong, um, but remains the same. Either way, we've had two rounds of basketball since then. So, regardless, it's been a while since we haven't had basketball. Um, but Game Seven will be played tomorrow. Otherwise, the conference finals are set in the East. We have the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. Miami obviously putting away Milwaukee in convincing fashion. We've talked about that already. With the Boston series uh, against Toronto, the thing I, that's going to stick out to everybody the most was at the end of the game, Kyle Lowry fouls out, and he otherwise didn't really play a spectacular game. But he fouls out, and on the final possession for Toronto, there's about 33 seconds left on the clock, and Fred Van Vliet starts taking the ball up the floor. And I think everybody kind of thought the same thing uh, once he got it past half court, but as soon as he touches the ball, I kind of realized that something was wrong. With like 33, 34 seconds left, it's going to be a little bit difficult to get a two for one and have like the most optimal shot possible in both possessions, but you at least want to try, right? You at least want to try. And he's just kind of carelessly, nonchalantly bringing the ball up the floor, and it just felt weird that there, there didn't seem to be much urgency with which he carried the ball, and then he dribbles to the right wing, just kind of pounds the ball into the floor for about nine seconds, gets doubled, and then just puts up a shot that got blocked. And it was insane. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, now he's not going to get 20-plus million, because he still is. Like, no matter who pays him this offseason, he's going to get the contract. Is the lasting memory of Fred Van Vliet a terrible possession? Yeah, but we have more objectivity than that. I feel like as fans, maybe we don't, but the people in the front offices, like he's still going to get his money. Is it going to be from Detroit? I don't know, because I know that there are a lot of people who believe, and even some Raptors fans, like this is where I began to see a lot of this thrown around, believe that there's a chance that that was Kyle Lowry's last game as a Toronto Raptor, which would be interesting, would blow me away, but... I guess the theory is I'm pretty sure he, he signed like a one year extension. So he was originally supposed to be a free agent this off season, I believe. 
and then uh, they upped it to a one-year. So now in 2021, he's going to become a free agent. I guess the theory that a lot of Raptors fans have is now it's going to be, they're going to kind of, it didn't work, right? Like, not that, like, Kyle Lowry's getting older, but, like, he's still really good. But if they're going to pay Fred Van Vliet all this money, they can't have that much money tied up in their backcourt. So the theory, I guess, is that they're going to trade away Lowry, hand the keys to Fred and Pascal, and let them figure it out from there. I have no idea if there's any validity to this, if there's any reason to actually believe it. would be kind of weird, um, but that's what's out there. So for a lot of people, it was a little bit emotional seeing Lowry go out in the way that he did. Um, and then you also look at it, Grant Williams is at the line, I believe it was him, and he misses a pair of free throws, but Jason Tatum gets the offensive board, and he gets fouled. The Raptors were not fouling Jason Tatum away from having a legitimate shot at moving to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second year in a row and possibly moving to the NBA Finals because I also like their chances against Miami. But I said the same thing about Milwaukee, so who knows. And now in the East, it's like, okay, whether it's Boston, whether it's Miami, and this is in the brief conversation that I was able to have with Nick Wright, um, which again was on that fan-sided stream that I was talking about at the top of the top of the pod. So tune into that. You never know who's going to jump in there. I know it's difficult to keep watching for three and a half hours, but I promise you, just kind of tune in and out, check out the action, see what's happening, see who we got in there. Uh, one of the things that he said was, because I had mentioned um, that I think Boston's path to the title, I said this like halfway through the Milwaukee series, Boston's path to an NBA Finals berth, I don't know if it's been as clear as it has in, in the better part of a decade. Looks really, really good. The odds are definitely in the Celtics' favor right now. And Nick said that he would welcome that because it would give LeBron his first chance to sweep somebody in the finals. Um, I don't. I, I genuinely don't believe that they would get swept. Um, I wouldn't. I mean, it's entirely within the realm of possibility that it's over in five or six. I, I would give the advantage to the Lakers. I would I give a lot more credibility to Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. Um, to actually make something happen. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see whoever comes out on top there. The Miami series is going to be really, really fun for Boston. And uh, I think the most interesting thing in that entire series for me was, well, A, that all Pascal Siakam had to do was play one good game, just one at any given moment, uh, preferably in Game 7. And there's a chance for Toronto, right? But when none of your players are, are playing well, the way that we know that they can, Siakam especially, a guy who can just go thermonuclear, um, he's got a hair trigger for it, right? Like he can. T I've said this a million times, we've all said it, nobody's gotten as good as fast as Pascal Siakam has, and it just seems like you'll blink and he's got 25, and those 25 points have come in the last 35 seconds. It's infuriating. One of the most interesting things, though, was the offensive production from Marcus Smart. Game 1, he has 29, 19 in Game 2, 23 and 6 and 16 in uh, game 7. Average, what, 15 or 16 for the series, 6 boards, 5 assists, 41% from the field, and I'm going to round up a little bit. 40% from 3 is 39.3. But And I think this joke was made that Patrick Beverly, I'm sorry, Marcus Smart is what Patrick Beverly thinks that he is because Patrick Beverly, along with Montrezl Harrell, have been bad. Like, really, really bad. And I also look at Montrezl Harrell in the same paradigm uh, as Fred Van Vliet. 
where although our lasting memory of them, and it's not on the same level because Montrose Harrell has been pretty bad the entire series where Fred was just really bad in that final possession of Game 7, um, they're still going to get paid, right? Like, they're still going to get paid the, the same amount of money that we thought they were before the series started, before the playoffs started. Whenever the time comes, uh, they'll get the bag. It's just going to be interesting to see who it's from. With Fred, um, I think, I mean, how many suitors are there for Van Vliet? There's like 100 of them. Off the top of my head, it's Toronto, New York. Detroit. I've seen the Pelicans thrown out there. That would be weird. You would assume they're dumping Drew Holiday in that scenario, which is a real possibility. That could happen. Um, I said there's a rumor that they might target Chris Paul, too, so who knows what's going to happen there. But there are teams, right, that, that could go after Fred. With Montrez Harrell, um, it's a little bit more niche, just in a from a positional stent sense, in a basketball sense, whereas Fred Van Vliet, it's like you could plug him into any team and like they're probably going to be pretty good. Um I know somebody had made the joke that Montrez Harrell has essentially just been a glorified Kenneth Fareed in this series. I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. I think the most insane part is that for the second consecutive series, they did it against Utah, the Denver Nuggets might come back from a 3-1 deficit for the second time in a row. And this is like Utah is one thing. Because they shouldn't have been down 3-1 in the first place. I remember before the before the playoffs even started, the question was, in the West, if you were able to pick who you play, who would you pick? Like, what team would you rather face round one where you think you have the best chances? And Utah was, like, the one team that most people said. And all the conversations I had with different basketball minds, it was it was, Utah was, like, the consensus. And so the fact that they went up 3-1 in the first place – Thanks to Donovan Mitchell going thermonuclear. Um, it's the second time I've said thermonuclear in this episode. Uh, credit to him for that, but Denver shouldn't have been down in the first place. It's more impressive now because, A, there's a little bit more wear and tear. They had to fight back a few weeks ago. But this is also against like the team that, I don't know, 33% of the league thinks is going to win the finals, if not at least go to the finals. So it's all the more impressive. And, and could they do it against the Lakers, too? I have no idea. My dad texted me the other day, and he's like, "Can the, this was before game six, so the Nuggets are still down 3-1. He's like, can uh, – I'm sorry, they were down 3-2 uh, because game six had not – right, so they were down 3-2. He's like, can Denver actually do this? I was like, well, it depends on what iteration you're getting of Paul George on a nightly basis. And then also I, – and I didn't say this, but it also depends on what are you getting from Patrick Beverly. What are you getting from Montrezl Harrell? Like, Kawhi, it's difficult to imagine uh, the quintessential embodiment of a walking uh, good shot, a guy who's never going to give off a bad look. It's hard to imagine he lets his team lose this game seven. But at the same time, Jokic comes out, who just, I, I don't know why I don't enjoy watching him play. I think it's because there's no rhyme or reason to any of his shots going in. He just kind of, like, there was the popular clip that was circulating of him just, like, a 20-foot turnaround just over his, what, left shoulder. The ball just goes up, and he it just just went in. It just, like, and it's, oh, it's never like it bounces around. It never even touches the rim. It never grazes the rim. It's just a bucket. And I that's just frustrating to me. And it's, it's not even like I'm trying to discredit him. It's how good he is. It's just because there's no sense to what he does. That it's just like, okay, I don't know. It's just boring to me. Not boring, that's the wrong word. It's just frustrating, I guess. 
Because I can't predict what Jokic is going to do at any given moment. And then famously now, after game six, he comes out and he's like, yeah, the pressure's not on us. We're not the ones who should be scared. We're having fun right now. That's a hilariously terrifying quote. And the lack of home court and the way that teams are struggling with it is really showing here because it's one thing to blow a 19-point lead in game six if you're the Clippers. It happens, right? It happens. Even if you're at home, it can, you know. But to then just have the script completely flipped on you as if you were never in the lead in the first place, as if you have no business being in that game, speaks volumes. And if we're going to be getting, you know, uh, Utah Jamal Murray or regular season bubble Jamal Murray in Game 7 along with Jokic, you know, I don't really know how you beat this team. And if Michael Porter Jr., by his own wishes, actually gets fed the ball, which credit to him for hitting that shot when he did uh, in, in, I think, Game 5, um, the the game after he was like, yeah, we need to get more people involved. Like, give me the ball. And then he hit that shot in the fourth quarter, put the game away. Like, good for him for doing that, honestly. That was the most, like, and I think Wob tweeted this, Rob Perez. He's like, that was the most, like, this better go in shot maybe ever. And credit to him for doing that. And it definitely feels like the momentum is on Denver's side right now. going to be really interesting to see what happens there. And then can Denver actually do anything against the Lakers? I really don't think that they can, but we also didn't think they could do anything against the Clippers, and then it looked like they were dead against the Jazz. So I guess you really don't know. This Clipper team that, in I guess it's like Milwaukee, you know, they had this defensive identity all year um, with three of the best, three and a half of the best um defenders in the league some of them right like Paul George and Kawhi and then the half uh well the third was Pat Bev and then the half is Montrezl Harrell just depends on who you ask but at least at the very least like you have Kawhi and Paul George so you have two of the best defenders in the league one of the best defenses in the NBA and at times you're just losing your identity completely it's just out the window it's just like what happened with Milwaukee you get worn down um and I'm excited I'm really excited I like low key or high key hope that Denver pulls it off. Even though I just don't really enjoy watching them. I think I'm in the minority there. I really don't know why. Pretty sure everybody loves them now. I'm just like pretty lukewarm towards them. Like whatever. It'll be fun. Gonna kind of suck that a Clippers Lakers Western Conference Finals gets railroaded. But if it happens in this way and the Clippers blow a 3-1 lead for the first time since I think 2015, I believe is when they blew it to the Rockets, would be pretty funny. I can't be mad about that. And I think that's it today. Just wanted to pop in. Get some get some stuff out there. I also want to add very quickly, for those of you who do not know, my brother and I did start a Detroit sports podcast called the Motown Rundown. I know it's not going to be targeted towards everybody because not all of you listening are Detroit sports fans. Some of you are Bucks fans. Some of you are Kings fans. Some of you are fans of teams that aren't the Pistons. Um, but I encourage you... If not, at least give it a try. I promise you it's quite interesting. We tackle all four major teams in Detroit. Uh, Episodes aren't as short as Shoot the J. They're still great, though. That is the Motown Rundown. I've been retweeting a lot of our stuff uh, on Twitter recently. You can go ahead and follow the Twitter account at Motown, R-N-D-W-N. And with that, folks, if you made it this far, genuinely from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much for listening. I will catch you guys in the next one.